0: Lesson 5, and let's look first of all at verses 1 through 8. We're going to see that he's going to address the issue of sexual purity. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here this morning and go from there. Look with me at verses 1 to 8. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us How you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Verse 3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, not that no one should take advantage or defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all such. For as we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us the Holy Spirit. All right, so let's talk, first of all, we're going to talk about the issue of sexual purity. You think that's something we need to worry about today in our culture? Yeah, very much so. So let's talk about it here. First of all, as Paul moves to the conclusion of his letter, he wants to encourage his readers. So he's moving towards finishing his letter, so he wants to encourage them, all right? So he's wanting to encourage you, because when we talk about this issue, it can actually be a very discouraging issue. Okay? because it is so strong and so debilitating for people, but he's wanting to encourage them, okay? So he wants them to grow spiritually as they seek to walk and please God. Now here's what I want you to understand. Paul wants them to grow spiritually. He wants them to grow spiritually uh, so that, they can walk and please God. Okay, so here's the thing. I I need you to understand this. It is not okay for you just to stay in the same place spiritually. You need to be growing. And, And if you think you're okay, you've got to realize that's a problem because you have not arrived. You're never going to arrive. To arrive at the place that you need to be, means that you're going to be with Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nobody here, including myself, has made it. Nobody. And if anybody acts like they do, mark that person down in your mind, that's the height of immaturity. So he's wanting you and I to be sure that we understand that we need to, he's wanting them to grow spiritually as you seek to walk with God and please him period. Nobody's arrived. And so especially in this area, okay, especially in this area. So the purpose, Paul reminds them, first of all, Paul reminds them concerning the instructions that he gave them from the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's going to remind them of some things that Jesus had taught Paul that he was to teach to others. So he's going to reiterate some of that right now. So, So just so you know, this isn't just a bunch of old fogies sitting down and coming up with a bunch of rules for people. He's saying ultimately that this teaching that he's about to give comes from Jesus. Now, do you think we need to pay attention to what comes from Jesus? Okay, this is what Jesus is wanting for our lives. Okay? This is what Jesus is wanting for our lives. Now, here's what he does in verse 3. He's just going to come right out and tell us what God's will is. The purpose of God's will is so that you are sanctified or made holy. The purpose of God's will is so that you are sanctified or made holy. Now, two things I want to point out here. Number one, I I, it, it dawned on me that God's will has been expressed throughout Scripture through his commands. When you see a command in the Bible, is that the will of God? Okay, so here is one instance, there's actually two instances in Thessalonians, we're going to see another one here in a moment, where... He just comes right out and says, this is God's will. If he had just said this is a command from God, that would have been enough. But he's making the point, this is God's will. So here's what I want you to see. The fact that he's stressing this is showing us how important it is. What he's about to say is important for everyone. Now, let me just stop for a moment. When we talk about sexual purity, that's not just a man thing. Because in our culture today, with the online culture and everything, we we would say, oh, that's a man thing. No, this is a gal thing, too. Do you understand what I'm saying? This issue affects every human being who breathes, who has blood flowing through their veins. Do you understand what I'm saying? Who has hormones, all right? So he's wanting you to understand, really pay attention to what I'm going to tell you here, because this is God's will. Now, the second thing I want you to see here is the purpose for telling us this. The purpose for telling us this is so that you are sanctified or made holy. Now, here's the thing. Years ago in churches, we talked about holiness, you guys can remember when we talked about holiness in churches? Some of you, maybe you can't, okay? The reason why we talked about holiness is because the Bible calls us to holy, holiness. In, in 1 Peter, be holy as I am holy. Holiness is a major issue. Now, the reason why we quit talking about it, can I tell you why we quit talking about it? Well, first of all, does anybody know why we quit talking about it? Anybody know why we quit talking about it? Well, here's what happens. When you talk about holiness and you tell people to strive to be holy, here's what human beings end up doing. They end up making a system of rules in order for you to live in so that you could be holy. So 30, 40, 50 years ago, we made up rules about where you could go, where you couldn't go, what you could watch, what you couldn't watch, how you should dress, how you should not dress. Do you know what I'm saying? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Why did we make up those rules? Why did preachers make up that rules? Did they want to make your life miserable? No. They had good intentions. They were wanting you to be holy. Do you understand what I'm saying? They were wanting you to be Holy. The problem is is that what we ended up doing was imposing another system of legalism on ourselves and so we rejected that. Now what we did when we reject that, and this is what we do in Christianity, is we swing from one side to the other. The pendulum swings, we don't ever come to the middle, we swing to the other side now. So we're done with legalism so we don't talk about holiness anymore. Problem is, is we're called to be holy. And what he's about to say here, he's already told us, this is from what Jesus taught them, and he's already taught them this, he's reiterating it, this is God's will, and the purpose of this is for your sanctification, for your holiness. Look, what we're about to talk about here is, is an issue of holiness in your life, are you going to be like Jesus or not? And remember now, the reason why he's telling you this is so that you grow. So that you grow to be more like Jesus. And this is not something that we can just overlook in our lives. And so many are overlooking it. So many are overlooking it. And it's becoming more and more difficult. The onset of the Internet age makes it so much harder. So much harder. So I want you to notice, here's what he's saying. Here's God's will stated. It is God's will that every believer abstain from sexual immorality. Now the term that he uses there is a broad term. It's not a specific term. And does anybody know why it would be broad? Why would the term that he uses for sexual immorality there be broad? Yeah, so he wants to make sure that it includes everything. In fact, the word is pornea. Now what do we have in the English version today that comes from that word? Pornography. That's sexual immorality as well. And what he's saying here is, is that it is God's will, listen folks, it is God's will for your holiness, for your sake, that you abstain, that is, you get away from, you stay away from, you make sure it's not a part of your life, sexual immorality, and here's the thing. Here's what we do. We can make ourselves a lot of excuses here because if we, we make it specific and we think that oh, sexual morality is adultery or premarital sex or something, we would say, well, I don't have that problem. I don't need to worry about that. Yeah, you do. Because if you're looking at something online that you shouldn't be looking at, you're not abstaining. You're not doing right. Do you understand what I'm saying? You are not doing God's will. You are actually harming yourself and others around you. It is God's will that you abstain from sexual immorality. Why? He's going to expand it here now in verse 4 to 6. He's going to tell you why you need to stop, why you need to abstain. Okay? Here's why. First of all, They should know how to control themselves in holiness and honor. The issue is an issue of controlling yourself. That's what the issue is here. You are not in control of yourself if you are becoming a part of this. So he's saying the purpose of God's will is so that you are Sanctified or made holy he's saying that you need to abstain from sexual immorality and how you do that is that you need to control yourself you should know how to control yourself so here's the thing folks I tell this to folks when I visit them and they're struggling with addiction issues and, and I say to them you know how you go there it's usually a pattern you know how you go there So, change the behavior that leads you there. You know, years ago there was a little book that was written, I forget the author, I forget the title, but here's what it was. Chapter 1, I walked down the street, I fell into a hole. Took me forever, I crawled out of the hole. And I went on my way. Chapter 2, I walked down the same street, fall into the same hole, took me forever, I got out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street, I fall into the same hole, and I try to get out of it, and I get out finally, and I walk down. Chapter, the next chapter. I know that if I walk down this street, I'm going to fall into that hole. I take that street, fall into the hole. Takes me forever, but I try to get out. The closing chapter is, is finally, I decide to take a different street. This is what we're talking about here, folks. You have to learn to control yourself. You know what it is. And so, folks, if it's the TV, don't watch certain programs. You know, avoid the places that you need to. Like if we would tell that to a drunk, right? We would tell that to an alcoholic. Don't rent above the liquor store. It's that simple. You say, George, why are you reiterating this point? Because statistics show, sadly, that a significant portion of men and women are involved in sexual immorality. It's the dirty little secret that we don't talk about. That's the reality. Let's go on. Here's the second thing. They should not live according to the passion of their lusts as Gentiles do. Hey, hey folks, have you noticed we're all Gentiles here? Here is a natural tendency of Gentiles. We have a tendency to drift into this. Because Gentiles, by their nature, are, I don't know, maybe DNA or something. We're predisposed to going to this. You can go to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through the end of the chapter and see about the nature of Gentiles. And he's saying, now that you are saved, you no longer, in Romans 6, yield your bodies to sin. He's saying here, look, don't yield yourself to your lusts and your desires. And we sure do do that, don't we? You know what I'm saying? We sure do do that. So that they, they should not live according to the passion and their lusts as the Gentiles do. Let's go on. He tells them that they should not take advantage and defraud anyone sexually. See, it can get so bad that when you get involved with this, it's not a sin to yourself, but you can impose your sexual immorality on others. And you can impose it in marriage, and you can impose it on others around you. And that's what happens. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do not get involved with it. Don't influence others in this area. And there's a reason why you should not impose it. If you're a believer, involve others into it. He stresses that the Lord is an avenger and will bring judgment on the offender. Now the word judgment here isn't talking about a final judgment. It's talking about God will discipline you. He will deal with you. Do you understand? He will deal with you. Now, he's going to bring it right back. Why do we need to focus on this? Verse 7 Paul stresses that God calls believers to holiness and not uncleanness. Okay, now listen now. Look at what he's saying here. He's calling us to holiness. Because if he says, he says, if you're involved in this, you are basically involving yourself in uncleanness. The only thing that I can think of is like this. You remember we were out at the picnic, you all saw the sweet pea potties around? Do we like going on those even if we have to? No, we're kind of like going in there trying to make sure we're not touching anything, trying to make sure how do we get out of there without, because to us it is, what's the word, disgusting. How many of y'all would play in there? You wouldn't, right? Because you would say, that's pretty unclean. That's the picture we have here. He's calling us to holiness. To involve yourself in sexual immorality is to involve, to involve yourself in uncleanness. You shouldn't go there. Do you understand? Shouldn't go there. Alright, let's go on. Verse 8. Excuse me. Uncleanness refers to an impure life that is marked by sexual sin. That's what he's talking about here. It's an impure life that is marked by sexual sin. Let's go on. By ignoring or rejecting this command, you are rejecting God rather than man. Now, here's the thing. He is making a point here. He's saying, look, guys, I know you're listening to me and you're going, oh, okay, all right, there we go again. He's saying, if you ignore me, you're not rejecting me. I'm just just the messenger. You are rejecting God because this is his will. You're rejecting God because this is his will. Bottom line. Bottom line. All right, before we move on, we're talking to talk about brotherly love. Anybody got a question, comment? Anybody? I think it's pretty straightforward. It makes us uncomfortable. Just being honest with you, this topic makes us uncomfortable, and let me just say this, it should. It should make you uncomfortable. And if you're not uncomfortable, you need to take note. Because what we're talking about here is something very serious. Proverbs is very clear. When he talks about the issue of sexual morality, can, can you take fire to your bosom and not be burned? is what the writer of Proverbs says. It will leave its mark. It will leave its mark. Okay, so let's go on to brotherly love. All right, look with me at verses 9 through 12. This is the last part of what we're going to look at here. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so towards all the brethren who are all, who are all in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also inspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we've commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. So let's talk about love towards others. First of all, There's no need to instruct them concerning brotherly love since they're taught by God. What's he saying here? He's saying, I don't need to teach you how to love other people because you were taught to love other people by God. What do you think that means? I mean, we don't have to have, hey, we're having a seminar on Saturday, lunch is provided, 10 steps for brotherly love. First of all, nobody would show up. Here's the thing. Why don't we need to do that? He says you're taught by God. What does he mean by that? Okay, what Christ did for us on the cross. He taught us about love through Christ's sacrifice. What else? Okay, we have the Holy Spirit. That's good, John. And and out of you shall flow rivers, rivers of living water. And that is, of course, the Holy Spirit basically overflows us with himself, and out of our lives should come the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to cause us to what? Love. Okay? Anybody else? I know y'all are laughing at the back because I said livers of Holy Spirit, right? Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay, if, if John, John's right. John is love. And if you have God, you have love. So, love is not something that you need to be taught how to do. Did I see your hand? I was just thinking if we're in a right relationship, kind of like what Brian is saying, if we're in a right relationship with the Lord, you're going to be having those feelings. I don't know if you but I You're going to have that tendency to show love, yes. Okay, so let me just stop for a moment. I have said this before, I will say it again. Usually when you see somebody who says they're a Christian and they are just mean and belligerent towards people, you can almost guarantee that they have not spent time with Jesus or it's been a while. Why? Because you cannot spend time with the one who died for you and forgave you and not express from your heart love. Because love has been shown to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's just very evident in your life. All right. They were showing love to all all the believers in Macedonia. So these Thessalonian believers, they didn't need to be taught because Paul says they were showing love to everybody. Greatest testimony a church can have is what? Love. Love. What did Jesus say? By this shall they know that you are my disciples by your what? Love for one another. I'm going to tell you something. It is far better to have a church that is known as a group of people that loves you than anything else. For people to walk in and say that I'm loved. That is a far better testimony than anything else. Where people are genuinely concerned about other people. Period. That's far better than anything else. Okay, let's go on. However, Paul wanted to encourage them to increase in their love for other Christians. I mean, they're already doing it, but Paul's saying, I want you to do more. I want you to love people more. Isn't that interesting? I think if he were here today, even as loving as we are in our church here, he would say, I want you to do more. I want you to show love more. I mean, that kind of maybe would shock us because, for, like, for instance, I'm an introvert, okay? And I'm trying to overcome it, but it's hard, okay? And what do you mean by that? Well, like, when I first meet you, I'm not like, oh, hi! Have you ever seen me do that? Never. In fact, I come across, I'll just say it, as rude, as rude. And that's, that's some of that has to do with my personality. Some of that has to do with my background, my Germanness. You know, do you know what I'm saying? And well, that's not an excuse, George. You're right. It's not an excuse. So it's something that I need to work on to learn how to what love other people. We all got to work on it. Now it's easy to love your own, right? <laughs> okay. Sometimes. Okay. But it's a lot more difficult to love people who aren't like you or who aren't part of your clan or whatever. Okay, So he's saying to them, Paul wanted them to encourage them to increase in their love for other Christians. Paul urged them to lead quiet lives and to mind their own business concerning others. Now this is a good one, isn't it? So in the definition of love, he's talking about brotherly love here, And he's saying, I want you to show more love to each other. Next thing he says is, mind your own business. Isn't that interesting? Mind your own business. Lead quiet lives and mind your own business. Now, what would that have to do with showing love towards other people? Anybody got a guess? Think about it for a moment. You leading a quiet life and minding your own business, what would that have to do with the issue of showing love? Okay. Okay, that's really good. Did you hear what Bruce said? Okay, let me give you an illustration of what Bruce is saying here. John comes to me. John thinks that I love him. I communicate that I love John. John shares with me a struggle that he's having. He shares it with me because he thinks I love him. And I say to him, John, hey, I'll be praying for you, bro. I'll pray, I'll pray right now for you. Lord, help him with his issues. And that's love, right? That was in the morning, in the afternoon, I'm having coffee with Rob. Hey, Rob, you want to pray for John. Isn't that the Christian way to do it? You want to pray for John. Now, John didn't ask anybody else to pray for him. You want to pray for John. We do a lot of praying in the back, don't we? Do you know what I'm saying? We pray people in the back. And, and so I tell Rob what John said. Now, stop for a moment. Is that love? That's what Bruce is saying here. That's not love. I don't know what that is. I know I have a word in my mind. That's evil. Did you understand? Everything doesn't have to be a prayer request, folks. Everything does not have to be a prayer request. And and Paul's saying here, lead quiet lives and mind your own business. And if you're going to show love, love is, I have a bond with him because he shared something deep and he wants me to pray for him. And he wants to be able to come back and talk to me about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? He wants to be able to come back and talk about it. Here's the other one. He urges them to support themselves by working with their own hands. Listen, you're going to see this throughout the, the teachings of the apostles. The apostles are going to say to you, folks, take care of yourselves. Work. Work. He's talking to Christians here now. This is not a command for society. Okay? That's, it, it's, it's tough enough to get Christians to do it, let alone worry about a country or something. Okay? But he's saying for the church, for believers, mind your own business, live peaceable lives, work, take care of yourself. He goes on and he urges them to act properly towards those who are outside of the church, unbelievers. What's he saying here? This is the one where I I really think we're falling down on today in America. We need to treat people outside of the church, that is, unbelievers, with respect. Because here's the thing, folks. They're going to act that way. They don't know who. Jesus. It's Jesus who gives people the ability to turn from their sin. How do you expect unbelievers to act? They're going to act like what? Unbelievers. And he's saying, because look, we're trying to what? Reach them, not repel them. I think that's what we're into today in America. Repel people from Christ. We're to reach them, and how do we do that? By what? Loving them. Loving them. Do you understand what I'm saying? So...